0: Well, today, as we uh, begin a new sermon series, uh, the sermon series, we're going to take a look at the, the the fact that God provides, that this God of the universe who's created all things, who's created you and me, is a God that cares for us and a God that provides. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks looking in, in the book of Exodus. And uh, so we're going to take a look at this. And today, we're going to look at the Song of Moses. Now, Moses was the author of this This song, and he wrote it right shortly after God's people were led through the Red Sea. So he's on the other side of the sea. After he's brought the people out, God's brought his people out of slavery. He writes this song, and we know throughout the ages that this song that Moses penned uh, was used in worship, and it's one of these ancient songs that I I really think might have got stuck in people's heads. It's one of those ones that had become so familiar, and instantly it was a big hit. Because if you go down to verse 20 of chapter 15, we see this. After hearing the song that we're going to look at today, "...then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing." And Miriam sang the song, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horses and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Which if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 15, we see that that's almost exactly, um, word for word, the, the beginning of Moses, the song of Moses. And so we know that it was one of those songs that was easily picked up because the people of God were celebrating the fact that God was a good God and God is a good God. But have you ever heard one of those songs, uh, too, that you hear on the radio now or you haven't heard in a long time and it takes you back to a place in time? Like it takes you back to your history. You're like, I remember the first time I heard this song, I was doing this. Remember those songs like that? I think the song of Moses also had that power, too. Because we see throughout from the time that Moses penned it and it began being uh, used in worship for the people of God, it continues to show up again uh, throughout their history. And we also know that there are some songs uh, that, that, um, that may stick in our head for a while, but they don't stand the, the test of time. But this song of Moses stands the test of time. If we look at, you don't have to turn there, but if you look to Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, we see this is like at the end of God's revel- revealed word to us. We see that the song of Moses shows up again in Revelation, but it's also going to show up in the end as we have eternity to worship God. This is what um, John says Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. So we see that even in the end, when we, those who believe in Jesus Christ and have given our life to him, when we are with him in glory, the song of Moses is going to be one of those anthems that we sing unto the Lord. So I think it's appropriate today that we spend time, um, since this song has been so significant in the history of Israel, but also the history of our own faith. I think it's appropriate to spend a few moments looking at it this morning and seeing what truths or what realities or what encouragements we can extract from this passage today and from this song. So let's look at the beginning of chapter 15. It begins by saying, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. So then, this is one of those transitionary words that you can't really fully understand what comes next until you understand what that then is there for, right? So then, well, something must have happened before. So in order to fully understand this song, we need to look at the setting of the song. So you can, I'm going to take a few minutes and we're going to go all the way back and then we're going to get caught back up. So we know that Moses is shortly, is writing this shortly after the people of God crossed the Red Sea. But we also know that later on, as Moses sits down to, to compile the accounts of the Exodus, as he's laying out um, the history and giving the account of the Exodus, he comes back and strategically places this song right in the middle of verse or chapter 13 and chapter or chapter 14 and chapter 16. It's almost as though Moses is placing here, placing the song of Moses as a and. Putting it here, and it's serving sort of as a musical interlude. And I'm not much on music. I, I don't know. I, I've never taken music theory, but I, I'm told that there's a thing called a musical interlude, and it's a it's a piece that that c- connects two other pieces, or it's a, a piece that helps move the song or move the story along. And so we see that chapter 15 is one of those musical interludes. What it's doing is it's grabbing the Exodus chapter 1. It's actually reaching back to Genesis chapter 1 all the way to chapter 14. And so it's remembering how God has brought his people to where they are today. And it's also reaching forward to the mission of God as it is going to be continued. So it's, it's one of those beautiful pieces. It's in a place of transition. And so last summer, we um, began studying and walking through uh, the first 14 chapters of Exodus. And so if you were here, you were blessed by hearing and seeing how God is, is, is mighty and God is a warrior and God is strong. He has the ability and the power to defeat any enemy. But if you weren't here, I want to give just a moment to recap uh, where we've been and where the Bible itself has been. So we see that in the beginning of the word of God, God is the God of the universe. He is the creator. There is nothing that was before him. And so God, in the beginning of Genesis, steps in and says, Okay, I'm going to begin to make this creation. And so as he makes the universe and as he makes man, he begins unfolding his plan to save the sinful and rebellious man that he made. So we know in the book of Genesis, we see back there that that Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. And since that time, man has continually turned his back from God. The one that has given them life. The one that has given them breath. And we see God continually unfolding this plan to reconcile man back to himself. He's continually redeeming this. And as a part of God's unfolding this plan, we see that one day he comes And he comes to this man, Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want to bless you. I'm going to make this plan of redemption for all nations begin with you. And so he says, I called you and I want to give you a blessed promise of land. I want to give you territory. And then I also want to give you people. I want to make people that come, descendants from you that are so numerous that they cannot be counted. And he says, I'm going to show, I'm going to share a special relationship with you and your people. So that the world, when they look in upon you and they see you and your people, they will know that I'm a good God. So they'll know my character. They'll know a little bit more about me and who I am. They'll know that I'm a mighty God. And that maybe their eyes will turn to me for salvation. So God is drawing a people unto himself. So we see God takes Abraham and he moves him into the land. Uh, and he begins living there as, as he has this big journey. And then Abraham starts having children. We see that this blessed promise transfers from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And we see Jacob is fully living in the land. And a, a part of the, the land that he's cultivating, he has lots of sons. And one of his sons is Joseph. Now, Joseph's brothers really despised him, and so they said, we got to get rid of this guy because he's too cocky, he's too, um, he's too unruly, he's too cool for us, so we need to get rid of him. And so what they do is they de- devise this plan to, to kill him, and instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery, and the, he ends up ending up going to Egypt. And so from the Israel area, now uh, we see God's people, God's person, Joseph, begin to live in Egypt. This is the beauty of what God does because God knew that there was a famine that was going to come in his his land where his people were. And so God provides, he makes a provision for that by allowing uh, Joseph to go down into Egypt and then God was going to give him great favor. So so Joseph became uh, powerful in the land of Egypt. He actually became the second in control in command in Egypt. And so when the famine came, God's people, Jacob and his family, come down into, end up coming into Egypt to live and to to be there so that God's could provide and his promises could be fulfilled. And so at the beginning of the book of Exodus, we see God's people, those that he has called, are living in Egypt. And then the beginning of Exodus lets us know that Jacob's descendants had become so great in number, that they filled the land. And so Jacob, God's promise allowed more and more and more Israelites, more Hebrews to be born and to live in the land. But we also see a very scary statement at the beginning of Exodus. It says, and a new king, Pharaoh, came into power and he didn't know Joseph. A new Pharaoh comes into power and doesn't remember how God had used this man Joseph to not only save God's people, but also to help save Egypt. Because it was Joseph that came to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, this is the deal. This is what God is going to do. He's going to allow there to be seven years of, of wealth, seven years of great growth, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh was able to prepare his people for this time. But then, many years later, the Pharaoh came into power. Who didn't know Joseph. And we see that this Pharaoh didn't have a heart towards God, didn't have a heart towards people. Instead, he looked out at all of these Hebrew people and he saw that they were so great and he became threatened by his own power. He said, These people are so great, they can uprise against us and they could overthrow us. So what did he do? He decided to put them into slavery and make them work for the Egyptians. And even worse, we see that before Moses comes on the scene, he makes this command and says that all babies, all Hebrew babies that are born, that are male, are to be cast into the Nile. And so God, we see God step in when Moses is born, and instead of Moses being cast into the sea, Moses goes to the Nile and is placed in a basket, and God strategically and and providentially moves that basket so that it goes and it lands right before the daughter of pharaoh she goes to the sea and she sees baby moses in this basket and she picks up this baby moses and says i want this baby i want to raise this baby and allow him to become part of my family i want him to be saved so out of this sea salvation comes God with his mighty hand saves Moses. And later on we see that as Moses grows, we see that Moses' eyes begin to be open to see the utter destruction of his people. He sees the oppression of his people. And he becomes upset one day and he goes to, two, uh, to these Egyptians. He sees this Egyptian hurting this uh, Hebrew, this Israelite. And so he kills him. And so knowing what and seeing what he's done, Moses takes off and he flees to Midian. And it's in, in this time in Midian where he's away from his people, where he's away from everything that he knew in this time, God speaks to him. And one day, God comes to Moses through the, through the vision of a burning bush, or through a burning bush, not a vision, uh, of the burning bush itself. And God begins to unfold this plan because God has heard the cries of his people. He has heard them say, oh God, why don't, why don't you save us? And so God on this day says to Moses, part of my plan is going to be, I'm going to use you to allow my people to come and get out of Egypt and move into the land that he has promised. So Moses hears the message from God and moves into now going back into Egypt, standing before Pharaoh and says, the God of the universe, the God has created all things, says that you are supposed to let my people go. And what ensues, we see, is a 10-round boxing match where the God of the universe goes against the gods of Egypt. And one by one, God shows that he is victorious over every single god of Egypt. It starts off where he turns the water into blood. Then frogs come out of the sea, and gnats come out of the sea, or lice come out of the sea. Then there are flies. Then the livestock are diseased. Then there are boils all over the people. Then there's thunder, hail. Then there's locusts. Then there's darkness. And finally, there is death. And each time, between each battle, between each round, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So in the end, as Pharaoh continues to refuse to bow to God, we see that Pharaoh's son dies. And in essence, God stands up To Pharaoh and shows him that even Pharaoh himself in the Egyptian culture was a god. And so God allows his son to die and Pharaoh comes to the point of where he realizes that he's defeated and he says, okay, Moses, take your people and get out of here. But then in the last moment, as God's people are leaving... Pharaoh's heart gets hardened again. He says, no, it's not enough. I can't just let them go. I must pursue them. And so he's seeking to pursue them and pursues God's people all the way up to the shore of the Red Sea. So the people of God are standing there. They're now outside of Egypt. They've got the sea in front of them. And the pursuit of the greatest army the world has known to this point behind them. And God uses this as an opportunity to show his power in the greatest and mightiest way. The sea opens up, and God's people walk through on dry ground, all the millions of them, however many there were, potentially millions of them, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. And the Egyptians pursue, as Pharaoh has them, begin to pursue them, and as soon as all of Pharaoh's army is walking through on this dry ground, the water closes on top of them. And the greatest army in the world is utterly destroyed. And so that's the setting of this psalm. All of this has just happened to God's people. They've been in a place of great oppression. They know what it means to be enslaved to someone that's other than the God of the universe. They've cried out and they've seen this mighty God come down in a mighty way to save them. And what I think is beautiful is that through the beginning of the Exodus, we see God is beginning to reveal himself to his people. So it's this God that says, okay, I am going to call these people unto myself, show them special affection, show them special love, show them special care. And as we see Exodus beginning, he's unfolding a part of his character. He's allowing the people to see pieces of who he is. They see, and this song reflects the character of God that they know to this point. So we look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 15. This is what we see. It says, "'I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him.'" The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, or Yahweh is his name. So what we can see just from these first three verses, we see the characteristics of God that the people know of God to this point. It's interesting as we we jump into here and we, we look at the characteristics of God, we see if we walk back through Exodus, we see that God has been very intentional in making himself very known to Moses. Moses knows God. God has revealed himself to Moses in an intimate way, in a way of a relationship that's more than he has done for his people. So Moses knows much more about God than the people do at this point. So the people of God know much about God, At this point, but they don't know God in an intimate, personal way. Because it's always been the God of their fathers. He has been the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He hasn't been their God because they haven't known him. And so God is in the process of revealing himself to his people, and this is what they see. So this is the first face they see of God. They see that this God is a God that is mighty to save. Then verses 1 and 2, we see that he is a God of great strength. Because he is this God that was able to defeat this great enemy. That by his mighty hand, he was able to defeat this great enemy. And what's even cool about this is as we see God fighting against the Egyptians and against Pharaoh, it's not God's people fighting, it's God It is God that takes all the risks. It is God that initiates. It is God that is the great warrior. And all the people, they're just innocent bystanders. They sit back and they watch what God is going to do. And this is even so much more amazing, that through this process, God never loses one of his own. No Israelite dies in the process of of crossing into the sea and moving to the other side. So we see three characters of God. We see that God is a God of strength. We see that God is a God that offers salvation. See that in, in the second part of, of verse 2. For he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. So we see that God offers salvation. And we see that God is a God on a mission. That God has a purpose in all things that he does. Verse 3 says that God, this Lord is a man of war. That he is a God that is on a mission. That he is in the process of total world domination. That's really his desire. His desire is that all men would come to be saved. His his desire is that all men would come and bow their knee before he who is the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's his desire. And then when we go through verses 4 through 10, we can see a recounting of what his deeds that he has done. We see that the Pharaoh, so he, he shows in verse 4 and 5, he, he re- recounts to them and remembers how he destroyed the greatest army of the earth. But then he shows the beauty of who he is by talking about his, his right hand. And throughout Scripture, we see that God has this, this right hand or this right arm that protects his people. That he's a God that quickly comes in and has the great strength and the great power to protect his people. He's a great protector. He's a God that saves because he has power. In verses 11 and 12, we look in here and we can see that he is even shows himself. The people see that he is set apart from other gods. That this God that, they, that loves them and cares for them is greater than, than everything. It's because he's in control of creation. And then in verse 13, we see that he is a God that has great love for his people and that he saves them by redeeming them from slavery. And that because he's their God, he can guide them. We see in verse, verses 14 and 16, uh, 14 through 16, that God is also a God that is to be feared. I mean, just imagine for a moment, you don't really know this God, you know of this God. But if the only image you have of God is the God of uh, the plagues and the God of the exes, that's all you know about this God. He's a God that's mighty and he's a God to be feared. Because he has this great power. He can give life and he can take life away. He can cause water to turn into wine. He can cause water to turn into blood. He can take a mighty sea and he can divide it. But also in an instant he can utterly destroy a great army. This God is a God to be feared. And not only are the people of God supposed to fear this. But we see that this fear of God has gone out to other nations around. They know that this God is not to be messed with. That he's a mighty, mighty God. And then it's not until verse 17. So the people of God uh, begin to know that God is mighty, he is powerful, he is strong. But in verse 17, we see that Moses is going to begin to, to talk about another characteristic of God. Not only is God mighty to save, but God is a great provider. Look with me in verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. I think that's a transitionary verse. Because if we look where we're going in the rest of this sermon series, we can see that God now is not only going to be this mighty God, but now he's going to show his people how he can provide for them. And that's what we're going to be looking at the next few weeks. This God is a God that is a provider God. A God is a God that cares. And not only is he about his own great name, but in making his name great, he is going to show great care for his people. This week, as Pastor John and I were talking about this sermon series, we tried to look at the book of Exodus as a whole. And tried to say, okay, so if God is doing this, he's revealing himself to his people, what are, what are some of the big themes that we can see? And this is what we found out, and, and it's, it's pretty interesting. You can go to the, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with that, it's uh, a promise of God that he's given his people that they carry. As, as his people are moving, he gives them the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant actually has three things inside of it. There are, there are three elements that are inside uh, the Ark of the Covenant. One is Aaron's shepherd staff, or Aaron's um, staff. And so that is is one implement. another thing that's in there is some manna, which we're going to get to next week and see how that all figures out. But then also the third thing that contains within the Ark of the Covenant are the Ten Commandments. So if we take a look at those three pieces and we use them to identify the nature of God, we see first in the staff that God is a mighty God. Because with the staff, he can protect his people, but also with the staff, he leads his people. So he's a protecting, leading God. Through the manna, we see that he is a a God that provides. He provides for our needs. But then also through the Ten Commandments, we can see that he is a God that is our king. That he wants us to know the rules and the bounds and the lanes in which we can run to be in a relationship with him. Isn't that pretty neat? And so that's the picture of the Exodus. The whole book of Exodus is about God revealing himself in these three big ways, these three big ideas. So for the next few weeks, we're going to dig in deep to looking at the God that provides. So I'm excited about the journey that we're going to take over the next few weeks. But it's good to know and it's good to remember as we begin this sermon series that God is a God that is mighty to save. He has all power, all authority, and nothing happens apart from his overarching plan. So what are some implications today from this, this song? First thing I want us to see, there, there, just quickly, there are a couple of implications. One, that God is a God that still is in the business and the process of saving. That the God of the Exodus is the same God of today so if you're here in a place where in your, your life right now, you're just walking through and you're like, oh, my life is a mess. I need someone to come in and save me. I, I feel like I'm under attack or I feel like things are just falling apart. God provides and promises that his right arm is ready and right there to protect you and to help give you the strength to walk through any challenge that you have in this world. Not, not necessarily that he's going to save you from all those challenges, but he is there and ready and mighty enough to be your rock as you walk through the challenges of life. A second implication from this song is that this God that we serve, this God that we follow, this God that loves us, this God that we love is a God that provides. So maybe you need God today to be a provider for you. Maybe there's something going on in your life And maybe there's just things that have gone outside of your control, which is good, because things should be outside of your control. And you're at the place right now, because something is spiraling out of control, you realize that you need someone to come in and help you. Well, the only one that can really help you is God. So I don't know what you're going through, but if you're going through that, allow God to be your provider today. Or maybe you're here and you have a heart that is bent against God let the song of Moses remind you that God is a God that punishes sin. That God will not stand for sin to be un, uh, undealt with. And so God is a God that punishes. But lastly, I think most, even most importantly, as we think about God revealing himself, there's great danger today if we believe in a deficient gospel the gospel that says that Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins and redeem us back to God. Because he lived a perfect life and died a death on the cross and paid for the sin of the world. And then he went to a grave and came back alive to rule and reign. So there are some that would come to, to see if, 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 if they want people to understand who God is and to see who Christ is. They may come and take only a piece of who God really is. This is how it fleshes out. You see, if we only see that Jesus saves, if we only see the face of God as being a savior, and we only need him for that, to to get us out of hell, to make us right with God, that's a deficient gospel. That is not the complete gospel. That's only a piece of the gospel. So if someone were to say to you that all you have to do is pray this prayer and do this thing, and then you're good with God. Like, then you're good. Live however you want to. That's not the complete gospel. And I think that there's a danger in believing only a piece of who God is. So if Jesus, you only want Jesus to save you, then you're not fully following him. See, not only is Jesus a savior, he is more than that. He is a provider. That he is, a, he is one that wants to walk with you every single day of your life and wants to provide for you. He wants to change you. He wants to mold you. He wants to shape you. And he wants to make you into more of himself. And less of your old self. So that's a part of the gospel. So the gospel is, not only do I want Jesus to save me, but I want Jesus to change me. I want him to, to work inside of my life and radically change me. But not only is that, so that's a part of the picture. And we can see the three pictures in Moses or Exodus, the three pictures of the gospel. So God only not only does He save, he also provides, but he's also a king. And when we come to the place where we want him to be our savior, what we're saying is we're giving control of our lives over to him, saying, God, my life is not my life anymore, but it is in your hands. I give you my life to follow you and use it however you see fit. That's the complete gospel in 30 seconds. The complete gospel is don't just take Jesus because you want him to save you, but follow Jesus so they can give you everything that you need And so that he will make of you what he desires. I'm excited about this sermon series. And I think uh, I'm going to pause and pray in just a moment. And then after I pray, we're going to, because it's a song of praise, a song of remembrance, I think we're going to end our time this morning um, having some extended worship. Where you can have the opportunity to reflect back uh, on your own life. Look back. And maybe these songs that we're going to sing have been um, places... You've sang them in places of your life where you've looked to God or maybe they've been meaningful in your walk with the Lord where you remember that God is good, that God is faithful, that God loves you, and that God can save you in the midst of your trials and struggles. So as we sing these songs, allow this to be a time for you to reflect but also to respond to God and say thank you for who He is and for what He's done and what He's going to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for giving us Your Word And I pray now, Lord, uh, in these few moments, would you please speak? Would you please help us to respond? Help us to remember how good you are. Help us to remember the ways that you've saved us. So God, in these moments, please just do what you see fit. And allow us to sing these words of praise. In Jesus' name we pray.